Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined this week by Lou Meyer. He was one of my very first guests before I even knew how to do this job. <laughs> Lou is a regional business developer for Maryland and the D.C. area for the Davy Tree Expert Company. Welcome to the show again, Lou. Hey, thanks so much, Doug. It's great to great to be with you. We're talking all about holiday and Christmas lights and putting them on trees. I can't wait to hear about this because uh, you know I see them all over the place, but I wonder. What do I have to do to do this safely? You know, I, I worry about electricity and been and being out there wrapped around a tree. Sure, there's a lot of factors to think about. You know, it's one of our favorite traditions is the outdoor lighting. It it just makes everything much more festive. And uh, and yeah, there are right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. There's probably a lot of gray area in between. But uh, but we like to focus on the trees themselves and how lights affect those trees. Um, so, yeah, some different things to, to keep in mind while you're doing that. So I guess I'll start off with uh, the old-fashioned lights, like I use indoor in my on my tree here, aren't the lights I want to be using out there, right? No, sir. No. The indoor lights are rated for indoor use only, and they can cause fire damage. Um, they can short out easily a lot of things. So you want to make sure that you're using lights that are rated for outdoor use only. And the new LED lights that have been coming out in the past, what, six years are, are your absolute best bet. They, they last far longer, they use far less energy, and um, they, they have low heat. So they're really not affecting the issues of the trees. One, one downside I have found with them is that they use soy a lot in the plastic coating of those in squirrels and other uh, uh, varmint love chewing on them. So if you can get them without the soy additives, I, my neighborhood feed, my neighborhood email feed last year had a lot of people complaining about the the critters chewing on their Christmas lights. And, and that came out as, oh, that's something to think about. You think they were complaining? How about the squirrel? <laughs> <I know. laughs> it, was, it was an enlightening moment. Um, so yeah, make sure you're using the, the correct rated lights for those outdoor uses. One of the other benefits of those LEDs, since they use so little energy, is that you can string more of them together. Of course, follow the packaging, follow the recommended usage, but you're going to see you can get a lot more distance than those old-fashioned incandescents. So I'm, I'm running an extension cord out from the garage or wherever it might be, where I have a connection I'm I'm going to put some electrical tape on that. Is that so far so good? Yeah, yeah. You want to make sure that it's sealed up as much as possible. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just running them up the tree like I normally would as long as the tree is the right size. I'm not going to be climbing up a 25-foot hemlock or oak or whatever it might be. I, I want to leave that for the experts, right? Right, absolutely. Stay, yeah, stay in your lane. Be safe, especially when it's cold and slippery. You don't want to be up high. I mean, you know, if, if you have access to a bucket truck and, uh, and the skills to run one, go for it. 
you know, there are different Davy offices around the country that do specific holiday trees. For instance, I was a part of the Chesapeake office for the past three years, and uh, one of our annual clients is the Navy Alumni House at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, where we decorate a 50-foot-tall Deodar Cedar, and it's absolutely gorgeous, but that has to be left to the professionals. Um, it's a it's an intense affair. But yeah, I, you know, anything that you can reach comfortably is uh, is good. Do I have to put them on and then take them off again, or can they stay on, or is there something dependent on on the tree or the wires? Or great question. Yeah, no, um, you, you can leave them on year round. It, again, make sure that they're rated for that and that they're heavy duty. What you don't want to do is wrap them around the tree and leave them on year after year after year without changing them. So if you're just draping them over the branches of the tree, especially if it's a, a you know, a, a smaller tree that you can reach and replace them if they do fall off, then yes, where you can monitor it up closely. If it's up in a 75 foot canopy, you're not going to be able to monitor it. But um, the issue with leaving them on year after year sometimes comes in when people wrap the trunk of the tree or wrap those branches tightly. What they don't think about is the girth growth that the tree puts on every year. That trunk is going to grow in diameter. And as it does that, two things will happen. One, the health of the tree will diminish as those cords girdle the tree. They cut into the cambium, which is the vascular system of the tree, and prohibit the flow of nutrients and liquids through the tree itself. The other thing is, is that you're going to eventually snap those lines. Uh, as the tree grows, it'll probably break your line, hopefully not causing a short, which could result in a fire or electric discharge, uh, but at the very least, destroying your lights in the process. So when we're putting them on, we're just kind of weaving them? Is that is that a, a, a term you would, or how would you explain that? Yeah, well, it depends. If, if you're doing a, an evergreen tree, say a pine tree or a fir, something that would be used as a Christmas tree, as R.J. Laverne so eloquently spoke on last week's Talking Trees, or on earlier this year, um, the, uh, the, with the evergreen trees, yeah, you can drape it, you can weave it in between the branches, um, and you want to you get that uh, multi-layered look to it. Uh, so, you know, make sure that you're putting some space in between the layers so that it's not top heavy with light or bottom heavy if you're going for the full aesthetic look. Um, if it's a deciduous tree, one that loses its leaves, they don't have as much scaffolding as an evergreen would. So that you're going to be doing a little more winding um, to, to make sure that those uh, lines are staying connected. Now, you can put things hanging from the branches that'll hold the lines. Um, so if you want to wrap a zip tie around a branch a little loosely and, and zip tie those those lights to it, I'm, I'm a zip tie fanatic. My wife hates it. They're everywhere all over my house. I keep everything together with zip ties. But uh, you got to make sure, again, to remove those at the end of the season or every few seasons as the tree grows so that they don't begin to girdle the trees. So I've... I've... I looked at some pictures online at like some bigger oaks and stuff with, with the lights on there. But I, I also saw somebody talking about using a staple gun to put them on. Now, is that something we do on a tree or is that something we don't want to do on a tree? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, now we, 
we drive aluminum nails into trees when we do inventories all the time. So most staples are made of aluminum and that is less harmful to the tree. I, I'm not, I'm not a metallurgist, so I don't know how that all works. I'm not great at chemistry, but I do know that, you know, we use aluminum in trees frequently. Um, but no, if you have your, your option, I would not be shooting staples into a tree. So talking a little bit about science, I also, in doing my research uh, for today's podcast, I saw a formula for trying to figure out how many lights to put on a tree. And I was, uh, I'm not smart enough to use the formula. I'm, I'm going to buy more lights than I use, and I'm just going to run them around the tree. Talk a little bit about knowing how many lights to, to get for this, this job. Sure. So this is... <laughs> I've never used one of these formulas before, but uh, the Davy Tree Expert Company blog has a great article on it, and I'm going to read this straight from there. So you start by crunching the numbers. You measure the circumference and the height of the trunk and think about how far apart you'd like to space your lights. The go-to is usually two to three inches apart. Next, divide the height by the distance you'll put between the lights and multiply that by the circumference to find out how many feet of lights you need. So... Uh, there's also lots of online tree calculators, online tree light calculators. So if you want to skip the math yourself. Yeah. Let me stop you right there. Uh, yeah, my brain hurts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You and me both. Uh, so there are calculators to use, but you know, I, you and I both just kind of put lights on. And if we need more lights, we'll just grab some more lights and put more on. That's right. Where are you going? I'm headed to the store again for more lights for a tree. I'm not (laughs) smart enough to use the calculator. Exactly. You know, we talked about bigger trees, but how big of a tree do we put the lights on? You, you got to be careful if you got a little sapling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the strength of the tree is really important and size does equal strength with trees generally. Uh, so any new trees that you've recently planted, um, even bigger trees that you've recently planted, you probably want to avoid putting lights on to allow them to establish their their self. Uh, but yeah, smaller trees that are a little more fragile, you want to avoid heavy loading with lights. But I do think there's a place for it. I mean, you know, if, if you have a, a smaller string of lights and you have a small tree, then go, go for it. Just just be wary of the size of the tree versus the amount of weight you're putting onto it. Well, that's pretty comprehensive look at lights on trees. But since I have you here, what are some good gifts for tree lovers? You and I are tree lovers, and what would you want uh, to get for the, the holidays this year? Sure, great question. Uh, one thing that I always love giving as gifts are books. So there's a number of great tree books out there. Uh, one of the big ones for the past few years is Overstory by Richard Powers. It's a great fiction, um, weaves in some tree science, some uh environmental justice and uh it's some really interesting storytelling uh the secret life of trees is one that came out a few years ago uh peter wolbelin i believe was the guy's name who wrote it and it talks all about how trees sense the world around them uh fascinating book uh for any tree lover and then one for the younger tree lovers the, there's a i can name 50 trees today it's uh it wasn't dr seuss that wrote it but it's in the same feel. And uh, so it's 50 tree IDs. They have pictures. And it also talks about some of the tree biology. It's a wonderful book for kids. So I can name 50 trees today is great. Another great gift feature is tools. Uh, Any tree 
tree person loves talking tools and loves playing with them. So a nice pruning saw, um, pair of hand pruners if you have someone special in your life. Uh, so, you know, Corona makes is a brand that makes great fold-out pruning saws, very simple. You can get expensive uh, professional hand pruning saws that we use in the industry, but be, because we're using them 10 hours a day, 8 to 10 hours a day. Coronas are great fold-out ones, um, affordable. Hand pruners, can't go wrong with Falco number twos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, I'm sure Chanel makes other numbers, but Chanel number five is the only <laughs> perfume out there. Corona or uh, uh, Falco number twos is the, is the line. So put a good pair of pruners is going to set you back, you know, a couple bucks. Um, and then finally, if, if, you know, stuff, things aren't your thing, there are some really wonderful foundations you could donate to. So, you know, make a donation to the Arbor Day Foundation or the National Forest Foundation. Um, you probably have a local conservancy by you that that does a lot of land conservancy and donating in someone's name is a environmental way to do things. So I always love doing that as well. Well, I want to go back to the tools because I have a few uh, technical questions for you as somebody who has a Corona pruning saw. First off, explain if you can the importance of a pruning saw, how it is, it's different than, you know, you see people out there with like the old fashioned saw at their tree. That's the wrong way to do it. So talk a little bit about what a pruning saw is. And then I have another question about it as far as do, do I, do I sharpen it or, or do I just replace the blade? Cause I have no, I mean, do I take it somewhere to be sharpened or do I just replace the blade? Cause I wouldn't even know how to sharpen it. Sure. Well, the pruning saws are, are much smaller for one. So it's a lot easier on your body to use. Um, they also, they, they cut on the pole. And what that means is when you, when you've got the blade across the limb, when you are pulling it, that's when it's doing the cutting. And when you're pushing the blade, it's actually not cutting, but it is clearing the groove that you've just cut. So it's a much cleaner cut. It's much easier on you. And, um, and it's, it's better for the tree as well. And so what about the sharpening or what about the blade? Yeah, you can sharpen it. Um, you know, any hardware store that my local Ace Hardware sharpens blades. Uh, they love doing that. You get, there are professional sharpening places around a lot of times saw shops will do some sharpening for you. Uh, as for hand pruners, I sharpen my own. Um, I have a hard file that I use and I've got a Dremel that I like to use on it as well. Uh, make sure that the hand pruners are up to snuff with a sharp blade. Also hit them with a little uh, lubricant every once in a while. Uh, clean off that blade, especially if you're cutting evergreens with sap so that they're not sticking together. Um, and of course, whenever you're you're cutting with, whenever you're pruning trees, uh, uh, cleaning the blade as well is a good idea. So I laughed when you said Falco number two, because everywhere you go, when you see a professional gardener, Mm-hmm. You're going to see the red handles of a Falco number two coming out of there. Now there are, like you said, there are other numbers. I like your Chanel number five analogy, but for people, like if you have trouble gripping, like they have mm-hmm. a Falco that kind of rotates for you and that sort of thing. But yes, the Falco number two, and like you said, it, it's, it's not an inexpensive uh, tool, but in the, both these tools that you talk about and, and in tools in general for this kind of work, Spend the most money that you can because these tools should last for generations. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, absolutely. I've had my Falcos for 20 years in the industry. Um, I've seen them last a lot longer than that, too. Yeah. And, and you know, in the case of the Felco, all those parts, you know, it's good Swiss steel, first off. And all those parts, if you can't sharpen it at a certain point, you can just you can buy a little blade and screw it right in there. Uh, you know, when you're talking about the pruning saw, since we've, we've got the, the topic uh, going here, talk a little bit about I, I, I see this all the time where people go and to prune a tree. First off, we're not even going to get into the right time to do it because every tree is different. But when you have a, a branch, I see people go right, you know, a quarter inch from the trunk. And when they make one cut, the branch starts to come off and then it tears the bark off. That's not the right way to prune a branch. So if you, if you could, since we're talking, we happen to get into pruning, if you could just talk a little bit about the way you guys do it. Sure. We use what's called the three-part prune. And um, actually, actually, R.J. Laverne is the one who taught me this one. So, um, yeah, if you've got a branch, especially if it's if it's bigger than what you can control, if you're if you're cutting a two inch branch off of a, a hawthorn and you could put one hand on the cut end and clip it with the uh, hand pruners in the other, um, one single cut is fine. But once you start getting into that three, four, even six inch branches, when you're using a, a hand saw, especially, you want to go about six to eight inches out from the trunk on the underside of that branch. And use that saw on the underside of the branch to cut about a third of the way through the branch. Uh, any more than that, you're going to start pinching your saw. So you want to stop about a third of the way through. Then go back to the top of the branch, go another one to two inches out from the trunk, and begin to cut from the top of the branch through the limb. And what's, what's likely going to happen is about halfway through, that branch is going to start to break off. And because of your undercut, the bark will not continue to peel. It'll it'll snap right there, and you'll have a nice, clean, uh, it looks like a, a, a squared-off uh, cut. And then, so that's cut number one is underside. Cut number two is on top, outside of that. And then you go back to the main union um, at either the stem or the dominant branch, and you make a clean cut at the branch bark collar um, with a controllable weight that is left for you to, yeah. to control. Yeah, it's not going to tear the, the bark off. So uh, as we finish up here, what kind of season did you guys have, Maryland, D.C., uh, this year? It was somewhat typical. Um, it was dry for, unfortunately, the last part of it. So our fall color was not very spectacular this year. But uh, but it, it was wet spring, dry summer, fairly typical. We've had some wild ones the past few years. Uh, 2018 was the wettest on record. 2019, we had a long drought. Um, so... Uh, 2020 and 2021 have been typical seasons, but our forests are really suffering from those two wild, wavy years in 18 and 19. From your perspective, is a drought worse or too much water worse? Uh, I think too much water. I mean, with a drought, you can you can feed your trees, you know, especially speaking from a residential standpoint, you can control the water in a drought year on your landscape. Uh, when it's too wet, there's, I mean, you can't just stick a sump pump underneath every tree and hope that it works. Uh, you know, and these trees have, have, uh, droughts are much more common than really wet years. And the trees have evolved to deal with that. Now, obviously a long drought, uh, is going to be an issue for any tree that's not being maintained, but, um, 
the the too much water just suffocates them. It, it pushes all the oxygen out of the ground and uh, it's, it's hard to overcome that. Before I let you go, last time we talked a little bit about how you got into the business, but if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about what you get out of this job. Uh, sure. Doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love talking every day with people about how we can improve their, um, their outdoor environment, how we can improve their outdoor world. Uh, you know, discussing safety and aesthetics and longevity People love trees and it's, it's unlike any other product out there. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I have dogs and I love dogs and I go to the vet and I love talking about a dog, but trees are part of our everyday life. Everyone's exposed to them. Even, you know, if you live in a dense urban area, there's street trees that you see and people love to talk about them and they love to learn about them and to learn little facts about them and they want them to improve. Uh, you know, they, they play such an important role in our survival and in our enjoyment and in our everyday life that knowing a little bit about them is just a lot of fun. Oh, good stuff, Lou. Now, before I let you go, I'm coming to Baltimore next month for a trade show, and I'd really love it if you'd buy me dinner. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You got it. We do some crab cakes. All right. Maryland crab cakes. Or uh, here in Baltimore, the big thing is pit beef, which is uh, smoked beef. It's It's like it's like roast beef, but really good. It's not roasted; it's smoked. So, all right, you pick yeah. the, you pick the place, and I'm buying. All right, you got it, Doug. This will be great. All right, Lou. Thanks again for your time, and we will see you in about a month. Thank you so much, and uh, have a wonderful holiday. You too, buddy. I can't wait to meet up with Lou. Can you imagine two tree nerds together for dinner? What would we possibly talk about? Now, tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davey Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. I hope you're having as much fun listening as I am hosting the show. And be sure to tune in next week as the topic is plan your garden now. The benefits of planning in the winter. I love the anticipation of planning. It's one of the fun things about gardening, especially with trees. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.